You're listening to 3CR's Renegade Economist with your host, Carl Fitzgerald, as we investigate the role of landlords, bankers and natural monopoly through the eyes of the commons. Our birthrights, our birthrights. Listeners, this week we welcome a true Renegade Economist. We have Michael West a rollicking private investigative journalist with over 14,000 Twitter followers. Many of you will have uh, eaten your Saturday morning cornflakes, reading his work in the Fairfax uh, business pages, investigating all sorts of corporate trickery. And today we're going to be uh, wading our way through uh, energy costs, uh, tax avoidance, uh, infrastructure rorts and the like. Uh, it's, it's all part of the game of mates. So uh, check out Michael's work at michaelwest.com.au to dig into these details. Now, uh, Michael, I opened my power bill recently to see that the service fee had dropped by $8 a month, but uh, my jaw quickly dropped when I saw that the tariffs had increased by 28 to 37%. Now, what is driving these rampant uh, price gouges? Uh, Carl, I'm sorry to hear that uh, you've been stung, but you're certainly not alone. Uh, <laughs> it's a case for millions of Australians, and I'm always amused to hear when there's a when somebody rings me up to sell me a discount. You know, they say, "Well, we're going to give you 20% off," and I always say, "20% off what?" And then uh, <laughs> the conversation sort of unfolds from there. But inevitably, you get to the point where where, you know, the people can't answer the questions. Uh, and, you know, when often when people do take a discount off part of their tariff, then something else like a service fee gets ramped up, uh, so they end up paying more uh, anyway. So, look, I haven't had a good look at what's driving electricity prices in the past month or two, but I'm pretty sure it's probably exactly the same thing. The, the fact is the regulators are gamed. They're gamed by the electricity companies uh, and uh, the, the Gentailers mostly, which is Origin Energy Australia, AGL. And um, under the method for calculating the returns, which is DORC, these people can claim virtually anything they want and they can claim everything. All their advertising is uh, just goes straight on the bill. Now, Dork, uh, so. Dork is a topic we've talked about before on The Renegade Economist with uh, Dr. Terry Dwyer. He's uh, been uh, writing submissions about this for years, but it's been great to see you covering this topic as well. Now, explain what this depreciated, optimised replacement cost uh, system of accounting uh, write-offs is all about? Well, essentially, Carl, what you do is you claim as your regulated return for the regulator. So if you're Energy Australia or one of the the people that gets... that The, the bills are effectively regulated by the, by the AER, the Australian Energy Regulator. So you put in uh, your your claim every few years and you say, we need to lift prices by this much to get money back for the money that we are spending and that we intend to spend. And because it's so damn costly to build all these, you know, transmission towers and and um, substations and so on, uh, we're going to have, that's all going to have to go on the bill. Otherwise, there's going to be blackouts if we don't do all these upgrades. So the problem with DORC, which stands for Depreciated Optimised Replacement Cost, and this is the method for valuing these assets, and this drives 50% of your bill, or the rise in your bill price, uh, 
uh, it basically is you put if you're the energy company you put a value on it you go to the regulator and say to replace this substation or these poles and wires or this transmission network we would need to spend a billion dollars so therefore you know you're going to have to take account of our valuation and it's huge and um, and then we're going to optimize it as well so the equivalent would be this if the harbour bridge the sydney harbour bridge were to be uh privatized the operator uh, under dork if that was the methodology which is in gas and electricity for valuing assets the regulator the 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 new owner would go to the regulator and say it will cost us what we, I mean, name a price. It would cost us $50 billion to replace this harbour bridge and to optimise it for the, for the new age, we'd have to spend more money. So we'll charge you the $50 billion plus an optimised thing. And we've got these excellent consultants which are telling us this is the value. And um, engineering consultants and so on, they're, they're all part of the Dork Gravy train. And uh, therefore, that's what it's going to cost. But the fact is, you don't need to build a new harbour bridge because there's one there already. So this is the whole fallacy of Dork. It's completely redundant. It's only in Australia. And um, it serves to drive electricity prices very high. I love this quote in one of your articles, uh, Dork, the art of uh, getting energy infrastructure paid for twice, where uh, Sydney University finance professor David Johnson said, the whole idea of basing user charges on the imaginary current replacement cost of an asset that already exists is ideological claptrap. It says that you tell your kids that they can't afford to drive the old Volvo in the yard because a new one will cost $100,000. Now, it just doesn't make sense. How have they gotten away with uh, this sort of trickery? Well, by calling it dork, so nobody understands it. The funny thing was I was doing a, uh, Carl, I was doing an interview with Rod Sims, competition uh, regulator, and I said it was a long three-part series on, on the energy crisis in Australia. And uh, he, we, I had an hour with him, and he, he was good. And, um, I, and I said, now, what about Dork? And he started laughing. He's not, not given to too much laughter when talking about electricity and gas prices. But he said, you're not going to, you're not going to foist Dork on your audience, are you? Because I told him it was for the Southern Cross radio network, which is Triple M and all those sort of stations, you know. And so um, wow. he laughed. And he said, well, actually, I'm not a fan of Dork's. And I think it is responsible for driving up prices. Um, and I also talked to Kennett about it because Kennett, of course, was the one, Jeff Kennett was the one that brought it in. And Kennett sort of was the only one of all the people I talked to uh, that, that, that defended it. He said, said it was just like any other, just a way of valuing things. But of course, they used it in that privatisation, that immensely successful privatisation of the Victorian assets back in the early 90s to get in very high prices um, mm. for the assets. And all the Americans, of course, that brought it almost went broke, these things. But later on, the pri- it, was only, it was only 10 years later that there, you saw that pressure come through from this valuation thing. But effectively, it allows... And the state governments were all behind it because when they owned all the assets, it allowed them to get huge dividends back uh, because their electricity, corporatised electricity companies were... We're, we're valuing the assets on Dork. Mm. So each year we have to pay for a replacement cost of something that's already there. 
and uh, that writes down their profits, I dare say, and somehow they they get to orchestrate this system to squidge on the repairs required to stop bushfires and so forth as well. Well, everything's dorked from the chief executive's office chair. You know, replacement cost of everything uh, in 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 these companies, uh, not just transmission towers and so on. Which, I mean, let's face it, how often are you going to have to build transmission towers? Not replace them, sorry. How often are you going to have to replace them? Once every 100 years or something? I mean, I don't know. But anyway, Sims agreed that there were 40-year-old pipelines that had been, that they were constantly being regarded as being valued uh, under dork. So this has led to tremendous inflation in uh, energy prices for Australians. And really, it would be fantastic if it were to go uh, and there's signs that people are now, certainly Sims and some people in the regulatory wor- uh, world are, uh, are wanting to get rid of it. And there's some signs that they may be uh, trying to curb it. Yes, that was a fantastic uh, return to the screen to see your article uh, early January talking about the dork rot and how the uh, uh, COAG, uh, the Council of Australian Governments, had amended the national gas rules to to basically say, look, we're going to move. We want you to move away from the dork method towards uh, a form of depreciated actual cost. Uh, actual mm-hmm. costs rather than these fantastical figures that consultants dream up. So that would be based on the historical cost of the asset, would it? Yes, it would. It would normalise the valuation, uh, really, if it were to be introduced and you know enforced and and so on, uh, because DORC stands for optimised replacement costs and actual costs. Uh, uh, you know, depreciated actual costs is a normal way of valuing any asset. So uh, if, as Morgan Stanley analyst, um, I think it's David, is it David Coe said, uh, mm. research report I got hold of, he's a well-respected analyst, this guy, and he's pretty close to, 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 these, to the regulators and to the companies themselves. And Coe is saying that if depreciated actual costs was introduced, as was expected in 2018, uh, and there was further, also further disclosure on on individual costs of pipelines. Like in the US, you've got to you've got to um, disclose your balance sheet uh, for in, each individual pipeline. Um, then that would probably lead to a reduction in in, in when 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 uh, pipe, pipeline deals, gas deals came off contract and were renewed. Hmm. Now, that is a big number. You're saying that 50% of the increase in our power bills is related to this dork accounting trickery. Where did that number come well, from? It's, well, no, it's roughly that. Well, it's, it's generally accepted, despite all the rhetoric we hear um, in, uh, between the major political parties, the Barneys over energy, it's generally accepted that you know, if you say electricity prices have doubled um, over the past 10 years, so say that's depending on what state you're in and, and what your own bill is, but say the averages have gone up 100% to 150%. What I'm talking about here is the increase. What's responsible for the increase, the doubling? 50% of that increase is distribution costs and distribution of the poles and the wires and the, and the substations to, to get your electricity into your house now um the the then there's 20 percent is retail costs so this is just the this is just people charging you to send you a bill 
So you know how there's about, oh, well, let's say in Victoria, there's 25. There's probably the same in New South Wales. Heaps of energy retailers. A lot of these are just resellers. They're just buying electricity. Mm, the ticket you know, clippers. And, and, and mm. They're clipping the ticket. Of course, all these advertising costs, they go on the bill. So all that advertising that the big three do, the Gentilers, that, that goes on the bill as well. Mm. Because that's why... It's, this is just a marketing game, really. You just keep on, and then people get fed up, and they switch suppliers when somebody offers them a discount. And generally, they're sticky. They don't worry because they couldn't be bothered because it's too hard to understand. Mm. Um, but, sure. if, but if you do swing a new client, then you're getting a few hundred bucks in the door every, depending on the size of the client, every, uh, you know, every uh, three months. Yeah, too complicated, you say. And I remember uh, Chris Martin, uh, a former guest on the show, uh, telling us that uh, the energy regulations are more voluminous than even the National Tax Act. There's so much complexity in here. You need an army of lawyers to wade through the issues, uh, the loopholes that are, that are prevalent there. And another issue that uh, hit me recently was uh, moving house. I took my solar panels and thought, you beauty, I'm going to be able to reinstall I got them off the developer before he smashes down uh, our old house. Uh, But, of course, the power companies have a little clause that uh, solar panels can't be reinstalled on your rooftop. So uh, we've got to buy new ones. Well, that's right. I mean, the the complexity is is foreboding and people – and that helps people – well, it's it's a a multinational tax avoidance and tax avoidance, corporate tax avoidance generally is the same dimension. We're talking about huge – licks of money here. There's so much money in it because if you're talking about 30% of your bottom line, which is what you're expected to pay a tax, if you can get rid of that, you know, you're worth, the consultants and tax lawyers and the big four are worth a, worth their weight in gold. Aren't oh, they? If you can are they ever? Save hundreds of millions of dollars. I think it's the same with electricity, but there's so much money at stake. They don't worry about losing customers. They just push because they know that ultimately they can keep on advertising, whacking that on the bill anyway. So, just big amounts of money involved and huge complexity in both fields. 3CR, radio that's independent, progressive and making a difference. Listeners, you're on 3CR's Renegade Economist this week with investigative journalist Michael West from michaelwest.com.au. And uh, Michael, let's switch over to one of our favourite topics, uh, transurban. Now, listen to these numbers, listeners. Uh, Traffic was up just 1.4% on their toll roads over the last six months, but toll revenues were up 9.6%. Uh, the the earnings before tax trickery was up by only 11.6%, but their net profits were up a staggering 280% in six months. Now, Michael West, what does that mean? Well, it means they're doing too nicely <laughs> because, I mean, if you transurban is the classic barometer for um, the, the successful PPP or, you know, here they are as a toll road operator, effectively got the outsourcing of the building of roads, the taxing motorists to build these roads. And um, ultimately, the government's just been too generous in the deal they've done with Transurban. Uh, the escalator is the big one. I mean, prices, toll, toll roads can, can go up 4% or a rate of inflation, whichever is higher. So let's say inflation suddenly took off again and went back to 7%, they'd be getting inflation. 
but in this low inflation environment, which is what, what is it now, Carl? I mean, you know better than me, one and a half percent or something. Barely you know, that. Um, yep. It doesn't include the uh, the land price inflation, which is really hurting everyone. Well, that's a, that's a another issue. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, for me, what I see where where traffic's at one point four percent, revenues nine point six, but profits two hundred and eighty percent. That must indicate they're engaging in incredible forms of tax avoidance. Well, they don't pay any tax. I mean, they've got a trust structure, and what they say is they say the way that their their their, their financial model is structured, they pay tax. They will pay a lot of tax more than anyone can imagine, they say, at the end of the concession period. So there's all this debt which they use and so on in order to, I mean, because they gear up an incredible amount. That's how they get their tax bill down because the more debt you have, the more money you're raking out uh, in interest payments uh, before tax is due to be paid. So because of all that debt in the in the construction phase, these toll roads will start paying a lot of tax in 20 or 30 years' time towards the end of construction, towards, towards the end of the concession period. Now, that, for taxpayers, that's taking a lot on faith, isn't it? Mm. The deal's generous anyway, because as I said, the escalator's 4%. So they can put up their tolls by 4% a year when inflation's only one and a half. Yeah, the, the, these margins are going to get even greater. And in Melbourne, uh, their group, uh, group EBIT uh, margins are uh, 88.5%, Sydney 81.2%. Now, for a normal business, if you're lucky to get 8 to 10%, this is uh, <laughs> phenomenal. It's extraordinary how they've got government hoodwinked into believing that this is the best way to finance infrastructure. We've had all these infrastructure bust-ups in New South Wales and Queensland, and uh, the West Connects project is uh, looking like it's going to be the biggest infrastructure project at $16.8 billion in Australia's history. Uh, What are some of the shenanigans going on behind the scenes there? Uh, What I'm reading is a lot of commercial incompetence and uh, basically the people foot the bill aren't finding it, aren't getting any of the information. Oh, this makes this makes uh, this makes CityLink project look like a backstreet lane. I mean, as you say, sixteen point eight billion, but that figure that's a that's a forecast about how much it's going to cost New South Wales to build this thing. It's massive network of roads, ten gigantic thirty metre smokestacks for all the tunnels, spaghetti junctions underground, spaghetti sort of toll road junctions, interchanges underground, Roselle and so on. I mean, even the engineering hasn't been better down on this stuff. It is so ambitious. But, I mean, $16.8 billion has been the price that the government's been saying for a couple of years. It's probably other people have come out and said it's going to be much higher. Uh, but who knows? Because they haven't got the engineering better down. So they're selling this thing. They've, the New South Wales government, and actually all taxpayers uh, countrywide have got skin in this game because the federal government is giving loans to the New South Wales government. You know how much they love their roads and, and, and apparently uh, have disregard for uh, public transport outcomes like rail. There's more money in roads for more consultants than there is in rail. In rail, you need a couple of big rail developers and you've got a lot of different consultants involved in these road projects. So Merchant bankers and lawyers and accountancy firms and consultants, they prefer roads because there's more fees in them than, than rail. Uh, so they run with the roads option. It's extremely ambitious. They've given the gig to Goldman Sachs to sell this thing, to sell 50%, 51% controlling stake in this thing called Sydney Motorways Corporation, 
by, I think it's June or July this year. There's a state election next year, so they want to get the deal done. But, I mean, who knows how much to pay for it? Transurban, of course, is a front runner. And Macquarie Bank has switched from being the advisor uh, to the government on the sale to being Transurban's advisor. Transurban will end up with something, if not the whole lot, because it's already got a whole lot of roads up here. It's got the monopoly, like in, like in Melbourne. Well, 70 or 80% of the tolls up there, yeah? Yeah, it's like Melbourne. They're completely dominant. So, in other words, when you're looking at other roads and how to link in the various tollways and other roads, they're going to be sitting there going, well, where the, where, you know, we will, because they've got contracts already as to what can be done and what competition can occur near their roads already. So they'll be in this game and they will make money out of it, whether they take out the whole of this control of this motorways corporation or not. But it's the secrecy surrounding this deal, which is unbelievable. On the website for this, the government wanted to get rid of FOI and Gipper people, you know, journalists poking around trying to get information and local residents action groups. So they, they basically put this thing in a private company called Sydney Motorways Corporation. So the government owns this private company and they're selling half of that so nobody, there's no visibility. And in fact, the head office is apparently down in George Street in Sydney in the middle of Sydney CBD, but there's not even an address on the website. No phone number. It's a completely secret, clandestine, covert operation, if you like. And mm. Goldman Sachs has been paid $16.5 million fee to, to sell the thing mid-year. Mm. It's just so frustrating that uh, these PPP models keep being pushed when they are a lot more expensive than public financing. And in the UK, the downfall of uh, Carillion there, uh, they were heavily involved in similar sort of structures there. And the UK Treasury themselves said that uh, shareholders often receive up to a 60% return on their investment. And uh, uh, it's more than 40% uh, more expensive than the public option, and that's similar to uh, what was recently revealed in a national audit of private consulting uh, costs for the federal government here in Australia. So, uh, gee whiz, are the public ever going to really care about this issue, do you think? Uh, there's a lot of people that care. I mean, look, you know, it's, it's the old self-interest reigns situation, uh, Carl, because... You know, there are people that have lost their houses and they've been forced to sell at Haberfield and Concord and so on. They have to clear out. And other people who wake up with, you know, graders and tractors and cranes going in the middle of the night. So if you're a local resident somewhere which is being affected, you care. Um, otherwise, you know, it's uh, not that many people care and, and they, they've got these big community stakeholder sort of management teams, public relations people, if you like, that sort of, you know, constantly diffusing things and trying to confuse the media. And if the media, I wouldn't say has been bought off, but it's really, there's no information. Uh, there's been a few big leaks here and there, to, you know, and it looks as though the poor old motorist has been forgotten in all this. Like it's a feeding frenzy of fees, but... The government will probably just get it away and get its whisk off its hands and put the risk onto the private sector, which will mean the private sector will probably bid for this thing at a huge discount and probably get it on the cheap and then and then be allowed quite a bit of scope in forcing up tolls. And as somebody said, famously said, you know, a toll road is basically 
uh, a license to prepare for the next toll road or something of that order. Because once you've got one, you just keep the thing just keeps extending. So potentially mm. a license to print money. Are there any uh, developing stories around uh, the on-off ramps and the big uh, land purchases and the windfall gains that are going to develop around what will become infrastructure hubs, no doubt, uh, surrounding uh, th- these key locations? Uh, look, there's heaps of individual stories with, you know, road widenings and, and, and new. I mean, there's, there's whole parts of this project which haven't been included in the West Connect sale. So you've got the F6 to the south of Sydney. You've got the Northern Beaches Link, uh, which goes up to Palm Beach and you know past Manly and all that. And that um, is you know it's a ten billion dollar project. Uh, you've got the city gateway for the airport. You've got four major bits of the project which we don't know they're going to be included in the eventual project or not, but they probably will. The point is, though, Michael, that uh, Malcolm Turnbull's talked about this concept of uh, capturing the value that landowners uh, enjoy when massive infrastructure projects like this are developed. Uh, Has there been much discussion about the need for that? I know New South Wales Treasury's had quite a few papers on it, but is that coming into play in this this example? Well, I'm not sure, actually. I haven't had a good look at what the people have been forced to sell uh, you know what what price they've got. It's just that this is a, this is such a huge project that hasn't been properly um, you know scoped out, even in an engineering sense. A lot of it's not bettered down. So it's huge uncertainty as to whether. I mean, the taxpayer may the taxpayer sometimes wins in these deals. Not so much in the Melbourne deals, but in Sydney they built this cross harbour tunnel, cross city harbour, cross city tunnel rather. And it was a complete white elephant. The traffic forecast were 50% overcooked. Mm. And same with the Clem 7 up in Brisbane and same with, the, in fact, the famous airport uh, link in Brisbane. Mm. I mean, totally overcooked, fraudulent traffic forecast, which ended up in court. And so that's what they're going to be wary about in this deal. And people close to the deal are saying they reckon that the bidders like Transurban, they're going to look at this and go, we don't believe the traffic forecast. There's a lot of risk in that, so therefore we're only going to bid X, million, X billion dollars. Mm. Will the big international companies come in and uh, set up some sort of uh, shelf company to ensure they're protected and, and do what they can to win the contract and uh, the CEO's uh, uh, short-term uh, bonus options over the next few years? It's all a mystery. Well, well, well we... we, we we don't know exactly um, because there's such secrecy around the bidding process. This is the biggest infrastructure deal in Australia and bids are due in, I think, next week. And we don't even have confirmation of the names of the bidders and who's involved in each consortium. I mean, that's the level of secrecy. The level of secrecy is so great. The asset they're selling, they don't even give a physical address for or a phone number. We don't even know what's going to be included in the sale. There's, there's speculation they'll sell the, the, the road departments, the transport departments tolling company, you know, the, the e-toll company. They'll, they'll vend that into the whole package just to sweeten it up for the buyers. I mean, we don't even know what they're selling. Mm. I mean, this is how secretive it is. And there's terrific environmental concerns. I haven't gone into that side of it, but, you know, they're legitimate environmental concerns and engineering concerns, all sorts of stuff. It's a very secret process. In fact, it's probably the most secret 
privatisation that I've seen in my couple of decades as a finance journalist covering these sort of things. Well, Michael West, uh, let's hope on that cheery note that uh, things do change and governments uh, feel more and more pressure. It led to the the overthrow of the Liberal Party down here. Now Labor's doing similar bad uh, bad practices. Uh, l- let's see what happens in New South Wales. But uh, good talking to you and uh, keep up uh, these investigations because we need more genuine journalism uh, building people's economic literacy into the rorts behind this game of mates. Uh, it's always good to be on the show, Carl, and remember that, that, much, that you always hear great things when political parties are in opposition, but uh, mm-hmm. they're not always acted upon once they get into office. So uh, good point. And uh, take care, mate. Thanks for having me on. Good one. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for your time. <laughs> 